You're listening to the Author Stories Podcast. Bringing you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Margaret Wise, Terry Brooks, Sheena Kamal, Matthew Quick, JT Ellison, Walt D. Williams, Brad Ford, Corey, Dr. O, Brandon Robin Mom, Ernest Klein, Jim Butcher, Sherwin Harris. Visit hankgarner.com for archives of all the shows. Today's guest is. Well, thanks for joining me again for the Author Stories Podcast, where I bring you the story behind the stories and the storytellers. Today, I am super excited to have Gabriella Saab on the show with me. She has an amazing new book and one that I've really been looking forward to talking about. It's called The Last Checkmate. This book is uh, is historical fiction around World War II um, and, uh, you know, f- factors in um, a chess player. And th- th- it was so much fun for me. Um I, I love the book, even though it's some very dark subject matter that that the uh, the story deals with. Um, it's such a great story of of the human spirit and will, and I, I love it so much. I'm recommending it to everyone uh, this holiday season. The Last Checkmate available everywhere today. When you're hearing this, the book is available now. Welcome to the show, Gabriella. Thank you so much, Hank. I'm so excited to be here, and thank you for your lovely words. Well, thank you, and I'm excited to have you. Uh, Gabriella. we begin each show with the same question, and that question is, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Oh, goodness. Well, I'm sure you get this answer a lot, but I am your typical, I've always wanted to be a writer um, story. So first, very clear memory that I have. I was about five or six years old. Big Nancy Drew fan, so obsessed with Nancy Drew, eating up all those books. And so after or during that time, while I was reading all those books, I decided I'm going to write a story that's going to be like Nancy Drew. And so I did. I got a binder. I threw some computer paper into it and hole punched it. And so no lines, nothing. And just wrote, you know, a couple hundred words of a little mystery detective story where I was the detective and I solved the mystery. And that was it. That was my first taste of the writing bug. And I have just been hooked ever since. I love it. Um, Gabriella, you are from uh, Mobile, Alabama, which is uh, close to where I live. And anytime that we go um, to to Florida to the beach, we we drive through Mobile, and and we go to Mobile just um, itself uh, occasionally. Uh, one of my favorite restaurants in the world is in Mobile, uh, Ralph and Kaku's. Oh, Love it. Yeah, we we used to have one here and it closed, and um, so we drive to Mobile just to go to Ralph and Kaku's occasionally. Anyway, side story. Didn't mean to <laughs> distract. Um, but Gabriella, I'm I'm uh, I'm always fascinated with how a sense of place factors into a creative person's life, and you know you you've written the last checkmate, which is um, an an historical novel about World War II and uh, in Poland. Um, how does do, do you ever feel like that that where you're from um, factors into your creative life? Does does being from Mobile ever seep into the art that you make, and and maybe in strange and fascinating ways that that people wouldn't, um, you know, uh, 
be clued into? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, I would say so. I mean, first of all, on the surface, you when you think of a sense of place that makes you think of environments and things like that. So, of course, setting a book in Poland, Poland's very cold. I don't sure. know a lot about what that's like. So <laughs> kind of getting myself into that headspace is, you know, different for me and something I have to work a little harder at than, you know, somebody from New York or somewhere else because they kind of understand what a really cold winter's like and I don't. So um, on the surface, just those kind of challenges that you have to overcome. But in terms of this book, The Last Checkmate, I really just wanted to, you know, impart just a lot of heart and a lot of just humanity into the stories and the characters. And I feel like Mobile as a community and as an environment, like everyone here, it's like one big family. Like anyone you meet from Mobile is going to, you know, the minute they hear you're from Mobile also, they're going to just take you under their wing and make you feel at home and feel welcomed. And so I just have felt so supported by everyone here, just my friends, my family, people I haven't spoken to in years, you know, have just been so loving and so supportive. And so I'm just so grateful for that and for the experience of being raised in an environment like that, where it is close knit and everyone just kind of rallies around people from the community. And it was kind of similar in this story. I wanted to impart that sense of support and of love and encouragement because, you know, especially in a place as dark as Auschwitz, you need that if you're going to survive. All these people only had each other. And so that sense of togetherness really did hold a lot of people together because without it, you weren't going to survive. You were on your own and surrounded by all this devastation. So I feel like that the heart of the story and of, you know, my community are very, very similar. See, I knew you could make a connection to Mobile. I just knew it. Of course. Uh, yeah. Uh, Gabriella, do I understand that you went to the greatest institution of higher learning known to man, Mississippi State University? Hail State. Hail State. <laughs> Hail State, indeed. Um, you you studied business administration, is that right? Did, marketing. Yeah. What? Uh, how, how do you feel like that that, that – um, were there any tools that you picked up along the way that you can look back now and say, I, I didn't exactly plan this, but I see that that is a is a tool that I needed in my toolbox? Oh, absolutely. Um, so I chose marketing because um, I kind of wanted a fallback plan in case the writing thing didn't work out. And I knew marketing would tap in to a lot of those same creative aspects that I like about writing. And um and we have business people in my family. My dad works in sales. And so it was a little more familiar to me than writing in terms of experience because nobody in my family is a writer except for me. So um, when I went to Mississippi State, I knew business was my plan going in. And I just really enjoyed getting exposure to so many different aspects of just life skills and tools and things that help you no matter what your career is, like um, in my sales classes, for example, you learn how to pitch a work, whether it's, you know, a book or a business or even yourself as a, you know, competent person. So all of those skills come into writing because a lot of people think, you know, authors are just sitting there writing the stories, but there's actually a whole lot that goes into the career of being an author as a whole, which includes 
marketing and you know budgeting and publicity and all these other things that are outside of the time you spend at your desk crafting the story so marketing really gave me those tools and that foundation to learn how to put myself in front of people and to discuss my work to discuss my credentials and my experiences and then also other things like you were saying that maybe i wouldn't have been as you know, interested in or think would affect me as much would be things like, you know, my finance classes, my accounting classes, those were like pulling teeth for me because I am a history mind, I'm an English mind. And so put me, you know, with some numbers and that's just not gonna work out quite as well. But they really did um, give me a good foundation for just kind of understanding money and budgets, like I said, and especially with publishing, you know, it's not a stable career in a traditional sense where you're getting a certain paycheck every month. So having that awareness has really um, been a nice little bonus tool as well. So from from your early days uh, being the next Nancy Drew and and loving those kinds of stories um, to studying marketing at Mississippi State, what was it that um, that brought you to historical fiction? Was this a love that you've had for for a while? What what was it that got you interested in in this genre? Yeah, great question. Um, it's definitely a love that I've had ever since I was little, even while I was reading Nancy Drew. I was always reading something historical as well. And um, actually growing up uh, through eighth grade, I was homeschooled. And so my mom knew I loved writing, knew I loved reading. And so she kind of tailored my curriculum more heavily in those aspects. So with a lot of my history books, she would bring in um, historical fiction novels set during that time. So I was always reading middle grade or you know whatever it was that coincided with what i was studying in history so that was fantastic and just really exposed me to so many different stories and times and cultures and just you know all the different possibilities that you have with historical fiction and stories that you don't really hear in your textbooks so it was always the genre that i loved the most and that i wanted to write someday but you know, historical fiction, the first thing you think about is research. And so I, you know, thought maybe I should try to write something else first, see if I can even write a book, if I even know how to write a book, and then I'll, you know, set toe over the line into historical fiction. Well, this story came to me and said, you know what, we're going to do this. And so I said, okay, let's go for it. And so even throughout high school and grade school, writing other genres and everything, this was my first um, big push toward the professional writing was this historical novel. Um, G- Gabrielle, let me ask you about the the role of historical fiction and, and the, the role of a historical fiction writer. Um, because in the, t- in, in the title of the genre, historical fiction, we, we know that this is going to be a book based around historical um, facts and and places and people that that are absolute facts. They're set in stone. These are things we can't change. Um, but right. then you you put the fiction tag on there so that we know that that this is a a made up story with possibly um, some made up characters and scenarios that are anchored in fact. Um, right. How do how do you as a writer 
navigate those waters to to bring in things that that won't offend readers um, because these are accepted facts that that we don't change yet fill in some of the gray hazy places of history with uh with a contribution from you that is obviously made up like like it seems to me that that is treacherous waters to try to swim in it is indeed and you have differing opinions from people as to how well you've done it which is you know to be expected and and i would imagine what people will accept and what they won't accept absolutely for sure but um i'm so glad you brought that up hank because um i recently had a reviewer leave a remark that has really just touched me and has stayed on my heart. And she uh, said that historical fiction and, you know, The Last Checkmate in particular is print, uh, presented not as a textbook, but with a heartbeat. And I just loved that story or that line, because that really is our responsibility as historical authors to present these stories and these facts and these, you know, numbers and things that are set in stone as something that's living and breathing and relatable to people and so it feels alive and you feel like you're there and you know these people and can relate to these people and so I feel like that heartbeat is kind of where the fiction side sometimes comes into play a little bit more because you have your historical facts you have your guidelines that you have to follow in that regard and that you know can't be changed But as you're crafting these characters in these scenarios, sometimes you do need to deviate from what is factually accepted or can't be verified completely in order to capture that heartbeat that you're striving for. And so like in The Last Checkmate, for example, my main character is imprisoned in Auschwitz in uh, 1941 and she's a female and women were not imprisoned in Auschwitz until 1942 because prior to 1942, it was a prison camp for men only. And so because I had this little inkling, this little idea about this young girl in Auschwitz during this time, that was a big stumbling block I had to get over. And I had to decide, is there a way I could explain his, with, you know, with the historical plausibility why she would have been spared and at this time rather than executed. And so if I couldn't have gotten over that hump, then I wouldn't have been able to write this story. And so because um, I discovered these stories of different prisoners in Auschwitz who were spared death in order to use their skills uh, to either entertain the guards or for other means of survival, that's where I got this idea to have her use this chess skill that she has um, as that means of survival and as that purpose for why she was not sent to execution. So that is the fine line that we as historical writers always walk between fact and fiction. Where do you bring it together? Where do you leave it alone? And so, like you said, you know, some people have differing opinions of what works, but for this story to get that heartbeat that I was going for, I felt this was what I needed to do. Do you find that those humps that you have to figure out how to work around or, um, you know, to uh, to get over in in the planning of the story, um, when you do kind of crack the code and figure out a way that that uh, of getting around this this pesky you know problem of of you know historicity, right. um, does that does that open new possibilities? Um, you know when you when you say, well, I I figured out how I can get around this, and now because I did that, it opens up all of these other story possibilities. Yeah, I would say so. Absolutely. Because it encourages you to 
be creative and be inventive and then to dig into other aspects of history as you're looking for these things that could be possible solutions. Because, you know, in developing this story, I had to start with, you know, was there any chance a woman would have been spared before 1942? You know, Googling those kinds of questions, seeing if I could find any evidence that maybe that had happened and maybe I could, you know, pull from that for inspiration. And so it does encourage you to push the boundaries and to look outside that initial box that you've been thinking in. And then uh, for me, anytime something needs to go outside of what is historically accurate or can be verified with complete certainty, I try to make it in a way to where it seems plausible for the time. People are behaving and acting in ways that seem appropriate for them and for their characters. So like for Maria, my main character, to be spared, well, she's spared by a camp deputy who is historically known for breaking rules. And so I felt like that was something he as a character would have done because he just was that kind of person and just thrived on the ways he could torment these poor people. And so if he had been someone who was strictly regimented and you know always played by the book, this solution probably wouldn't have worked out for me. So it really does make you push those boundaries, like you said, and kind of step out and look for those solutions in places you may not have thought you'd find them. Dabble is a proud sponsor of Author Stories. Dabble is an easy-to-use cloud-based writing tool that gives writers a way to organize, plot, and create amazing stories wherever they are. Write in our desktop app on your Mac or Windows computer, tablet, or mobile device. Dabble syncs your latest version with the cloud on all your devices. Write anywhere and anytime inspiration strikes. We got you. Dabble is my preferred writing tool, and I think it will be yours as well. Visit DabbleWriter.com for your free trial. You have an amazing story idea. You execute the writing and editing flawlessly, and now the only thing missing are readers. We can help you go from author to author superhero with Story Origin. Story Origin is a one-stop shop for marketing tools with a community of amazing authors working together to find reviewers, build mailing lists, increase sales, and collect feedback from beta readers. Everything an author needs all in one place from providing review copies or beta copies, reader magnets to ensure you stay connected with readers, easily distribute audio promo codes, universal retail links to send readers directly to the proper point of purchase, or provide direct download links for members of your mailing list. Story Origin has all the tools you need in one easy-to-use site. Use the promo code ASP21 at checkout when subscribing to the yearly plan and you will get 10% off your first year. This code will expire December 31st, so hurry over and subscribe now. StoryOriginApp.com Are you a chess player, Gabriella? I'm a better one now. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) actually, I did not set out starting with the idea to write a book about chess. I had this idea of this girl in Auschwitz, like I said, and, you know, I knew she was there. She was very attached to this one character that you'll meet in the book, who is a real person uh, that I knew a little bit about. And I just kind of had this idea of the two of them and of her, you know, feeling so close to him and so bonded to him and that he had 
supported and encouraged her and she wanted to do the same for him. And so I kind of had that little vague idea, which prompted this story. And so as I was delving into these solutions, like I was saying, to figure out how this could even be possible, I was getting to know this girl. This girl, I knew she worked for the Polish resistance. I knew she was a non-Jew because uh, that was, you know, that's the Jewish side of the story is not my story to tell. So I didn't want to write a Jewish main character. And so, but the more I kind of dug into these ideas, I just kept hearing her be like, hey, I like chess a lot. And I was like, okay, that's nice. And then it just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming. And I was like, okay, let me stop and listen to you for a minute. And so the more I thought about that and kind of understood where that came from for her and how she could use those skills, that was the tie that ended up bringing this whole book together. And so then I had to learn a whole lot more about chess. And so that pushed me into um, some real uh, chess history, into women in chess in particular, like Vera Menchik, who was the uh, first women's world chess champion. And so I studied a lot of um, those people and how they played their games in order to understand that chess grandmaster mentality, because I knew the basics. I can play fine, but I am no expert by any means. Um, yeah. So I really needed to look to the pros uh, to make that work for my main character. You know, I, I'm the same way, Gabrielle. I, I love to play chess and I, I play yeah. with my with my kids all the time and I'll, I'll play with some friends. Um, right. I am by no means a chess master. And and, right. uh, and there's a there's a it's a completely different way of thinking. You know, when when you go from casual chess player to competitive chess player, oh, that's for sure. um, yeah, that it's it's like stepping up to another level. Um, when, when you uh, when you started thinking about that and realizing that that this was going to be, you know, a, a, a big part of the book. Um, it, I, and I guess it, it's kind of um, the same you know, way of thinking about the uh, about historical events. Um, yeah. How do you how do you weigh how much detail to put um, in the book about chess? Um, because some people are are going to love all the detail that right. you put in there. And then some people, their eyes are just going to glass over and go, exactly. what in the world is she talking about? <laughs> um, you know, how do you gauge what is going to be uh, entertaining for the vast majority of people while also not dumbing it down? Exactly. Yeah. Again, very fine line, like you said. Um, so for this story in particular, obviously it was what gets her spared in Auschwitz and what she has to do to survive. And I knew I couldn't take you through every single move of a chess game while, you know, you're sitting there as a spectator or the people who aren't as into chess are going to be bored out of their minds. And so even though if I try to make it as interesting as I can, even the great chess players might not want to sit there and read, you know, all these numbers and sequences of movements going on. So that was uh, a, something I had to strike a balance in between showing enough of those moments where you do get a little deeper into the nitty gritty technicalities of the game. And then even more so showing how the game influences my main character and the way she thinks and the way she relates to the world and to her situation. And so chess just kind of became this little thread that ties through into everything um, in her life. And it's the way she approaches um, pretty much anything. And so I just wanted it to be that just um, overall, just that sense of her and of who she is and the way 
she, you know, handles these kinds of situations because like you said, a chess mentality is a very unique thing. And um, when you really get into those people's heads, you see that they, you know, tend to be systematic and logical and stuff like that. And so when all of that is thrown out the window and everything you've known, you know, gets taken from you and here you are in this situation where you have no control whatsoever, how do you handle that? And how does that affect you and affect you emotionally and physically and mentally? And then on the flip side, this thing that she's loved and that she's so good at is now a survival tactic and something she does against these people she hates. And so it just becomes a very, very difficult thing to come to terms with, you know, within your mind and within yourself. Um, so that's really where I wanted to dig into chess, more of the emotional and psychological impacts and less of the, you know, pawn to D4 kind of mentality. <laughs> Gabrielle, if we if we've learned anything about the publishing industry, it is uh, sometimes uh, it seems to be a slow moving machine that, uh, you know, if we're we're holding the last check made in our hand today because it's release day when people are hearing this, um, we know that the the story of this book has it's been a it's had a story journey to get to to our hands. And you probably turned it into your publisher a, a year ago or, or or better. And then um you know, before that, you know, there was there was the whole journey of you writing the book and then getting, uh, you know, uh, uh, an agent and then the agent sells that to a publisher. And then you go through edits with the publisher and right. the whole publishing process to now hold this book in our hand. Um, when did you begin with uh, with this story? When when did it first come to you and and you start writing it? So flashback to very early 2018. That's when I had kind of the first little idea and kind of drafted this story. But again, at this time, I had finished college. I had moved back home trying to decide, you know, what I wanted to do. Was I going to pursue this marketing degree that I'd gotten or was I going to try to make this book thing work? And um, so I'd, you know, come home, was working locally and got this idea. And like I'd said earlier, I wanted to write something that wasn't historical fiction first because I didn't know a whole lot about craft yet. I knew I liked to write, but I hadn't done a lot in terms of studying craft at this point. And so I thought, let me just see if I can write anything. Don't throw another you know, layer of work on top of it with historical you know, research. So let's just try something else. But this idea just hit me and would not let me go. And so I said, okay, you know, if I'm gonna attempt to write a book, historical fiction is what I wanna do long term it's what i love to read the most and so let me try it you know nothing to lose so 2018 i uh started developing the story wrote and researched it um in about six months and then that summer i, I took a research trip to poland and so i spent a week there and because i'd already had the story drafted i knew you know where i needed to go what you know little questions i needed answered so I spent um, a few days in Warsaw and um, a few in Auschwitz as well, which was just absolutely incredible, uh, life-changing experience. Um, so then I came home, I uh, cleaned up the story uh, kind of for the rest of that year, queried a little bit at the end of 2018, but it was still, you know, had some kinks I needed to work out. So I went to a writing conference at the beginning of 2019 and uh, in the spring. And at that conference, um, I got to pitch two agents in person, which was such a cool experience and so great. They were all 
so gracious and had such wonderful things to say. And uh, one of those agents um, asked for the book. And so I sent it to her and uh, she responded with um, a revise and resubmit, which means, you know, she likes the concept, but there are certain story or plot things that she would like changed if she wanted, if she were to represent it or potentially represent it. And so revise and resubmit means the ball's in your court. If you want to make these changes, I'll look at it again. If you don't, you know, that's okay. So um, she suggested taking the story to this nonlinear timeline that you see it in now. And it was something I had considered. And so hearing it from her, from a professional, uh, was the push I needed to do it. So I spent the summer um, working on that story and you know changing that timeline, cleaning up the story a little bit. That fall, um, I started pitching to agents again and um, kind of went on a hiatus from uh, querying at that time because of a family emergency. And then uh, in the uh, first of the year of 2020 is when I got the offer of representation from my agent. And then my agent, who is my agent now, um, we spent you know a couple few months on edits. We put it on submission in the summer in the middle of this crazy pandemic that had just hit the world. So we had absolutely no idea what we were getting into, how long it was going to take. And um, then in December 2020, right before Christmas, uh, we sold the book. And now here we are, publication. So Gabriella, um, several months ago, um, a, a, um, a, a Netflix um, show came out and, and made a big splash the queen's gambit yes. and and while that story really has nothing to do with the last checkmate um i i would imagine um that uh stories of you know young female chess phenoms um probably um you know became everyone was talking about it when okay. when you see us a, a, a a special like that come out and it's really, you know, saturating into our consciousness. Does does that excite you? Because, you know, hey, I have a book about a young um, female chess player who overcomes some great obstacles, you know, with this. Um, or does it uh, does it scare you a little bit that, you know, well, people are going to think that, you know, I'm just, you know, riding the wave of this and, and you right. know. Because and and we know that 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 there's no way that that could happen. This book right. had been alive, so to speak, for exactly. you know a lot longer than than that. And right. but sometimes there's this fortuitous intersection of things that happen. Um, as a writer with a project coming out that that is you know gonna check some of these boxes, how do you feel about that? Honestly, it was more excitement for me than anything else. Um, the minute it hit Netflix, you know, my agent and I were messaging. We're like, oh, my gosh, this, you know, could be good for us because here's, you know, this big, like you said, push toward, you know, female chess players and chess being something interesting because a lot of people think of chess as, you know, it's not that fascinating, yeah. especially if you're not a chess player. You know, who's going to sit there and watch this, you know, eight part miniseries about a girl who plays chess? How is that going to be entertaining? <laughs> But it is. And everybody just ate it up and loved it. And so what I loved most about the last, uh, not the last checkmate, um, the Queen's <laughs> Gambit, um, was that it did make chess exciting and accessible to so many people and was a fresh spin on the game itself and, you know, in history as well. And so that's really what I want the last checkmate to do for people as well, to kind of put a fresh spin 
on chess and on, you know, a historical event um, that a lot of people know a lot of things about, but maybe don't know this story. And so I loved that the Queen's Gambit just really raised awareness and kind of opened people's minds to um, stories such as this. But then, like you said, there is, you know, that catch 22 of people thinking, you know, you're just riding the wave of this or like, you know, for example, the Queen's Gambit is mentioned in the book, that opening. And so yeah, I've already had, you know, people wonder, is this because of the this Netflix show that you put that in there? And I said, no, that was in the first draft, you know, months ago, <laughs> years ago. <laughs> and so it just happens to be a chess opening that this show's named after too. And so, you know, you'll get that. And people, like you said, who assume you're just riding the wave, but I hope it's, you know, not just a wave. I hope it just continues and people continue to seek these stories of women in history and, you know, women doing things that they wouldn't have necessarily done. And these, you know, other just interesting stories and events and things that you might not think would be that interesting or that accessible to that many people that are then presented in these fresh and exciting ways that get people interested in them. So I think it's great. Well, and and it's such a fascinating story and it's such a, an entertaining ride that, that you take us on with this book. I love it so much. Um, I'm giving um, copies of this book to, to several people for Christmas this year, oh, because I know they're going to love it. Um, but, Gabriella, knowing that this book is out now and and today is publication day, um, and you know we talked a little bit earlier about the the journey that this that books go on to get published. Um, this has probably been off of your desk for months and months and months. Um, wh- what have you been occupying yourself with? You know, other than getting ready to launch a book, um, but are are you are you working on a new project now? Yes, I am. So I have a new project. Um, that's with um, my editor at the moment, so can't say too much about it, but um, we'll see. But still historical, I would still like to kind of stay in the historical area and to um, just really continue looking for these stories that feature women in history, whether they're you know fictional or inspired by real people, and then just imparting that heart and that emotion and just letting you know, modern readers relate to them because you think of historical fiction and of history and you think these people who lived, you know, eons ago and are nothing like us. Well, you know, actually, if you look back, you know, at the course of human history, people aren't all that different. Like we still struggle with the same things and face the same challenges, maybe in different ways, but the heart of, you know, the human experience is universal. And so that's really what I'd like to capture in these stories and just through women because, you know, women are often forgotten in certain parts of history. And so just being able to dig into those stories that may or may not have, you know, gotten a chance to come to the surface yet is just very important to me and it's an honor to be able to do. So I really hope I get to continue doing it. Well, I can't wait to see what comes uh, from your desk next, Gabriella. Um, we're going to send everyone to pick up a copy of The Last Checkmate. Uh, when you're hearing this episode, it's available everywhere. We're going to have links in it in the show notes uh, to where you can grab it in Kindle edition or um, a you know, physical copy that you want to hold and then put on your shelf. Um, is it also uh, available on audio? Yes, the audiobook, which is fantastic. I heard a little snippet and it's great <laughs> that's going to be amazing we'll put links there as well um gabriella if people are just discovering you and want to dig into all the great stuff that you do and follow along with what's coming up next where can they connect with you online 
Yeah, um, I'm on Facebook uh, at uh, facebook.com backslash Gabriella Saab author. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Both of those handles are at Gabriella Saab underscore. Excellent. We'll put links to all that in the show notes to make it easy for folks to find you. Gabriella, it's been so much fun chatting. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the show. Thank you so much, Hank. This has been a blast. It's been awesome. Now stay tuned for an audiobook excerpt from Richard Gleaves, the Jason Crane series. They made instant coffee and laid blankets over a pile of hay. He helped Kate pull off her boots. She volunteered for first watch, but Jason couldn't sleep. Talk to me, he whispered. Kate sipped her coffee. She sat silhouetted against the soft navy sky. A field of stars hung above her. The constellations peered in through the windows and slats. How about a story? Sure. My mom used to tell this one. It's the legend of the Star Maidens. He watched her words as she spoke, her story illustrated by puffs of vapor that mixed with the steam of her coffee. Long ago, a Mohican brave became lost in this valley. He'd followed a red deer deep into the woods, but the deer had vanished, and as twilight fell, he lost his way. He searched the heavens. He saw a bright star and followed it. It shone upon a clearing in the woods. Spook rock lay at the center, emanating magic. And in the starlight, he discovered the most beautiful woman he had ever seen. He discovered a star maiden. She was dancing with her sisters, and all seven were naked. Oh, really? Jason whispered. Seven naked star maidens? Shh. Why do these things never happen to me? The brave decided he must take the star maiden for his wife, so he seized her and threw her over his shoulder, and she loved him for his courage. They married and had a son. Then what? Then it gets sad. The star maiden missed her home. She gazed at the sky every night. She loved her husband and her baby very much, but she missed her sisters, and she especially missed the dancing. So she snuck away one night and returned to the sacred rock, and she begged her sisters, please appear, please appear to me for one last dance. They came to her and took her into the sky. Kate's silhouette swayed. One last dance. It was wonderful. And when the dance was finished, they sent her back to earth. She thought that she'd been away for only a little while. But that one dance had taken many, many years. She ran back to her husband, back to her baby. But they were gone. Her home was empty. The hunter had stopped waiting for her. He'd given up hope that she would return. He'd taken their child and had left with his tribe. One last dance had cost her everything. And she had no home at all. Jason could sense something roiling inside Kate, some brew of feelings that the story had stirred. He wanted to leap up, to grab her and carry her off, his star maiden, and wife. She climbed up to Spook Rock. She heard no music, only wind. She died there of her grief. She dwindled and lost her star form. She became a will-o'-the-wisp, fluttering between the trees. And see that constellation? The Pleiades. Those are her seven sisters. 
watching down from heaven. And, to this day, if a girl has lost her true love, she can go to Spook Rock and dance, and the star maidens will bless her. They'll grant her one wish, any wish at all, except one. They can't make her true love return. <laughs>